the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Wednesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button. The call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Appreciate you tuning in. We got stuff going on tonight. Uh, I have a really important Bible study. We're going to be closing out the book of Ezra tonight. Um, And uh, boy, chapter 10 is monumentally important, uh, especially if you've kind of messed up and you're a little distant from the Lord, or maybe you're making some bad decisions. Uh, You want to know God always has a remedy. And tonight, uh, Ezra and the Israelites uh, confess their sin and God gives them some more glorious and wonderful promises. So tonight we finish the book of Ezra. When I get back from vacation, we are going to be going into the book of Haggai. Haggai, of course, was a contemporary, very instrumental prophet um, during the same time that Ezra and later Nehemiah would be there. So uh, that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. And then, of course, Tomorrow we have uh, Paula live in studio on the day-to-day edition of the program. It'll be our last program together for a couple of weeks because, as I said, we're going on vacation. And um, I'm sure Paula has a lot to say. So tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word, Paula will be live in studio. Let's get to some questions that have been sent in uh, while we are awaiting uh, your phone calls. Here's a question from Kirby from our mobile app. Um he or she says, I passed her on. I just read a news article about Rick Warren and Saddleback Church and their petition to be allowed back into the SBC fold. That's the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, the vote against him was 9,700 to 800. I feel this is a good first step by the church body to stand up against renegade churches. What are your thoughts? Kirby, this is a battle that's been going on for so very, very long. And while Rick Warren was at Saddleback, uh, when when he was the pastor there, um, they were loath to do anything about it because, my goodness, Rick Warren Saddleback Church contributed so much money to the SBC. And so it was sort of a don't ask, don't tell thing. Uh, but then he got pretty out in the open about it. Uh, he, he ordained his wife, uh, Kay. And then uh, as he changed over to uh, a new pastor um, toward the end of last year, um, 
he specifically made it clear he wanted a, a husband and a wife pastor team. So it was no more beating around the bush. I mean, he just went straight for it. Now, I'm thrilled that the SBC uh, beat this uh, uh, appeal back with such an overwhelming vote. Uh, I'm thrilled because um, at some point we got to say the Bible says what it says, and we've got to decide who we belong to. And it doesn't matter whether you're part of a denomination or you're a church out there on your own. Uh, we've got to be responsible to teach the Word of God what it says, not what we want it to say. Not worried about whether or not we're cool or the world is going to approve. What we've got to do is teach the Word. Now, Kirby, this is such a simple issue. And in order to violate God's Word here, You've got to just basically say, look, I don't care what it says. I think this is better. We live in the 21st century, and we've got to be better than this. The Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I do. And, and the context is so important. Context is about church order. How should churches function? I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. In other words, leadership positions are male I want to emphasize to all of you out there shaking your head that it doesn't mean men are more spiritual or men make better decisions. In most cases, that's not true. The reason men are in the positions of spiritual leadership is just because that's what God said. When you get to heaven, you're going to have to ask him why he chose men. Did you have something against women? Of course, we won't do that because that would be challenging the goodness, the fairness, and the justice of God. But you see, Jesus made it clear. The church is his church, his bride. We are his servants, and that means we've got to do things his way. And this whole thing with Rick Warren and other churches that are uh, ordaining women to be pastors— uh, it's simply a statement that says, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, I want to be popular, whatever their motivation is. I can tell you, behind the scenes, this was an, an epic battle between Rick Warren and Albert Moeller. Uh, Al Moeller, um, behind the scenes, probably the single most powerful um, Southern Baptist um, in the entire convention. Um, he was making sure that this vote was going to be a landslide. Bringing it a little closer to home, Kirby, we've just got to decide that we're going to take orders. As servants of God, we've got to do what he says. And anytime you find a church that is violating the word of God and they're justifying it or making rationalizations, well, there's no difference, male or female. And Paul writes that, but he's certainly not talking in context there about roles in the church. So, Kirby, this is just a battle that was won uh, by the um, the Orthodox view of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, and and I think it is a step in the right direction. Now, the SPC has lots of problems, lots and lots of problems that they need to deal with, uh, but this won't be one of them going forward. You know, it's always frustrated me. We used to have people come to, not to our Calvary Chapel, but to Calvary Chapels. Uh, I'm a regional director, so if somebody in South Texas wants to become a Calvary Chapel, I'm the person that gives them the approval for that. And, um, you know, I've had them ask, well, well, this isn't an essential of the Christian faith. Why does that matter? Why are you asking about that? And, and the answer I always give is the same. You're right, it's not an essential of the historic Christian faith. However... It is an essential to be a Calvary Chapel. If you want to be a Calvary Chapel, then you have to be walking the same path that we're walking. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Uh, and and I always wonder, when churches that, that want to do things their way, why don't they just go do something on their own? Why is it they have to drag others into it? Why not just, okay, I don't agree with this thing that you're doing, so I'm going to go do my own thing. Certainly, that's better than trying to rebel and what uh, Saddleback Church was doing with Rick Warren, you know, sort of pulling the punches um, was change the SBC uh, and the member churches, the over 10,000 member churches that voted in this issue. So, Kirby, I think it was a good thing as far as it went. Um, you just don't need to be a Southern Baptist church if you don't believe in Southern Baptist uh, essentials or Southern Baptist um, principles. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one is from Jill. 
She said, Pastor Ron, after yesterday's call about Jeremiah 3, I read it. And in the late part of the chapter, a new question came to me in verses 14 through 18. Is Jeremiah talking about the end times or is he talking about the return of Israel from the Babylonian exile? You know, Jill, one of the problems with uh, understanding prophecy is simply that prophets, and Isaiah is the most guilty of all of this. In one sentence, he's talking about one period of time in history, and in the very next sentence, he jumps down the corridor of time and space to the very end. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here. Um, When he says, return faithless people, uh, for I'm your husband, I will choose you, uh, one from one town and two from a clan. Uh, And the idea there is it's going to be just a remnant, not the large people, and bring you to Zion. He says, then, and that's the key where it all turns. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, uh, shepherds who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. Now, before I go on about this, Jill, let me just say that this is one of the passages of Scripture that has always spoken in my heart about my job, what I do here as a pastor and Bible teacher uh, at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, I want to be a shepherd, a pastor after God's own heart. I want to love the people. I want to be patient and kind. I want to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. And it's my job to lead the people with knowledge and understanding and communicate that knowledge and understanding to them. You know, one of the things that I do, um, and Jill, this doesn't directly uh, address your question, but um, before I get up and teach, um, you know, we pray for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, and the angry. And we're not praying for them like, oh, Lord, bring us those deadbeats. We're, we're praying for them because they hurt. And God's heart is for those people. And so uh, when when he says, don't worry, I've got a shepherd coming after my own heart. He could have said, who is my very heart? And he will lead you. And that's the kind of pastor I want to be. He says in verse 16, in those days, and this is exactly where it turns to long-range prophecy. Prophecy often has short-term fulfillment and then long-term fulfillment. And Jeremiah now goes um, um, all the way down to the millennium after the Great Tribulation. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly, In the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say the ark of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. And then he says this, uh, at that time they will call Jerusalem the throne. Very important. It's a definite article. The throne of the Lord and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah will join the house of Israel. That's northern and southern tribes coming together. And together they will come from a northern land to the land they gave their forefathers as an inheritance. So, Jill, that's where he goes all the way down the corridor of time to the very end when all of the promises to David and to Abraham will be fulfilled. Let me just mention one other thing uh, about this. Um, um, you know, said nobody, they'll no longer talk about the ark. Uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation about will the ark ever be found? Uh, and the answer Jeremiah gives us here is no. Uh, the ark will never be found. It won't be asked about. Uh, it won't be missed. And another one uh, won't be made. So the Ark of the Covenant, remember, that's the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is our Ark. A deposit, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. Wonderful question. I really, really love that. Thank you, Jill. Hope that answers your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Reuben on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Ruben. How about you? Um, I'm having a little bit trouble breathing. My lungs are hurting today. Oh, but sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, you know, uh, I my faith is in God and and I know, you know, he's not going to give me more than I can handle. Mm-hmm. To me, those things aren't cl- cliches. 
when I say them to myself. Now, if I say them to somebody else, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ruben Paula um, Paula often tells people, um, and 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 she tells herself, uh, she she she'll say, "God knew this was going to happen," and that gives her a great deal of comfort. You know, God has gone before, yeah. and and she's going to be okay. So. Oh yes, and what's even more for me, um, God can speak to me through a movie that has nothing to do with with God at all. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, I could, you know, um, just be having a bad day, and and you know, after I pray and after I do my devotional and I read, and you know, I'm not, you know trying to say that I'm Mr. You know, scholar, because I'm not. I mean, I'll sit down and I'll watch a movie someday, and but God will speak speak to me, and it's weird. It is weird, but, you know, I, if we have that spiritual ear, we need to listen to what God, because he speaks to us in the most subtle of ways. Mm-hmm. When I wake up at 4 in the morning and I open up my door, I hear those birds chirping. Mm-hmm. And Pastor, they are not just birds. They are a reminder that God is with me. And he's telling me at four in the morning, I know some people might think I'm crazy, but let them. The birds, they're telling me, God is with you. This is God's way of singing to me in the morning. Because those birds are always there in my pecan tree, right in front of my door. <laughs> and they can get no- they can get really noisy, can't they? Oh, they can. But to yeah, me, I'm and you know, yeah, you know, Reuben, this this is not crazy at all. Jesus said that that God cares for the sparrows, and the idea mm-hmm. is, if He cares for them, how much more is He going to care for you? Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, when Jesus said that, uh, I think He intended for us. I I have the same kind of thing now. Paul and I we're not bird fans, and we got lots of birds. They're trying to build nests in our our stoop there, but but uh, I go out and look at the eastern sun. And that eastern sun coming up is just Jesus saying, I made it again. Here I am. I'm as faithful as that sun rising in the east. So for, for me, um, and, and God speaks to me a lot and comforts me a lot through through the world and through nature and things like that. So not crazy yeah. at all, buddy. Amen. I just have a quick question. I'm sorry I went off on my little nature oh, talk, That's okay. But, um. I heard Billy Graham say this one time, and it made me feel, like, comforted because uh, of, you know, my my struggles with, with sin. And then uh, I was reading, oh, again, Psalms 51, which, by the way, to me, I mean, oh, my God, it just, like, I can imagine David, how he must have just been in agony. He must have been crying out. And, and and just, I mean, crying. And it's, I mean, from like a cry, you know, like he said, the words are so, you know, profound. He said, Lord, my sin is forever before me. And I was thinking about that. So I said, Lord, what does he mean by that? I said, and then my question is this, that would he mean what, like, what I say and what Billy Graham said? Because Billy Graham said this, I heard him say this. Uh, the closer you get to Jesus, the more sinful you're going to feel. And David said, you know, my sin is daily before me. And I'm thinking to myself, is it the temptation that he had or or something that rose up in him and and he, he, he hated it with the passion? That's why he said, it's daily before me. You know, that's why he said, give me, he said, a contrite heart. You will not turn away. A broken and contrite spirit and a contrite heart, you won't turn away. I don't remember the words verbatim, but is that what he meant? And what Billy Graham said, is that true? Yeah, Ruben, this is really important. You know, until you get to the place where you recognize the holiness of God, I refer you to to Peter when when Jesus used his boat and then told him, put your net in on the other side. And, and this huge haul of fish came up, and Peter understood right at that moment 
that he was in the presence of God. And he got on his face in that boat and he said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're aware of your own sin. And then when we're aware of our own sin, I know I've said this uh, to you before, but you've got to hate it. Uh, and Peter, Peter hated it at that moment. Um, again, not not a thing where he's doing guilt or he's trying to beat himself up, but he just realized, I'm standing in the presence of God. I'm standing in the presence of pure holiness and infinite power. And Peter at that moment felt so small. Depart from me. Moses, when he was uh, standing before the burning bush, um, he got on his face. And, and when he got on his face, it, I can I can picture him kind of digging in under the dirt a little bit because he just can't stand the holiness. When Moses um, um, later said to him, I want to see your glory in Genesis chapter 32. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And when just the backside of God's glory passed, Moses was aware of his own sin, and then that shining face, and it, it would it would fade after Moses was in the presence of God. So that's what happens. That's what we become aware of when we get close to Jesus. He becomes bigger. He becomes greater. He becomes holier, and we become smaller. And when we get to that point, then we can say as David did, and I love the fact that he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. That, that's the one thing that I think when we struggle with sin and give in, we got to realize, God, that wasn't the, my weakness. That wasn't just my flesh. I've sinned against you and you alone, O God. And then when he says, um, 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 my spirit, and you're right, for, for nine months as he tried to hide this, uh, another psalm says that, that when I tried to remain silent, my bones were crying out. They wasted away within him. And then we can get to the point where we can Ask as he did, um, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, renew within me a right spirit. So that's what Billy Graham said and, and what David is saying there is fine. And I love the fact that David got up and started serving the Lord. He didn't beat himself up for weeks and weeks and weeks. He didn't go on and on about how unfaithful he is. God knows all of that. But washed by the blood of Jesus, he was really then at that point able to say, God, forgive me and renew within me a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. One of the things I'm going to talk about tonight, Reuben, in our Bible study is God's remedy uh, when we have really messed up. And uh, so that's in Ezra chapter 10 as we close uh, the book of Ezra. Thank you, Reuben. I'll be praying for you to feel a little bit better, breathe a little better. Here's a called-in question to the studio. Um, Anonymous says, does Satan have the power to heal? And if so, does he ever use it to deceive others? Um, Anonymous, he does. He he has supernatural power. So, yeah, I mean, there's signs and wonders that are done. There are false signs and wonders, but signs and wonders. and, And no doubt he will sometimes use it to do things like that. Here's what I can say unequivocally. If he ever uses his power to heal, its only purpose is to deceive. Uh, we know in the uh, book of Revelation, the, the man that we call the Antichrist is going to suffer uh, what, what's called a fatal head wound. And he's going to be risen from the dead. Uh, so God allows Satan that kind of power in that particular instance. And the world is going to be fooled. So... Um, um, does he ever use the power to heal? I don't know if he does. If he has, uh, we know that one point he will. But if he does, um, then he would use it to deceive others. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, if I or even an angel from heaven comes and shares a doctrine or a gospel different than the one that I delivered unto you, let him be accursed, anathema. Let him be accursed and cut off. Um, so we, we don't look for miracles. We don't look for um, crazy answers to prayer and say, well, God is in this place. Um, we, we've got our Bibles and we got the presence of Jesus Christ. Good question. Thank you very, very much. We are almost out of time for this half of the program. Let me see if i got a really quick question. Um, 
Here's one I can do very quickly. Olivia says, why is it that a lot of churches' pastors pass the role of pastor down to their sons? Is this fair? Uh, Olivia, I can't tell you. You know, a lot of churches are run like family businesses. Should they be? Never. But um, I, I wish I had a son to pass this church to. My two sons are not called and gifted to be pastor. Now, the son that is going to take over this church eventually, uh, he is truly a son to me, not a blood son, but he's truly a son to me. Uh, I think some churches do it just because that's a pastor taking care of his kids. But I have seen some pastor's sons who are gifted and in some cases to a far greater extent than their fathers are. So I think what you have to do, Olivia, is just look at the fruit of that pastor's son's ministry, and then what you can do is um, um, make a decision based on the fruit, whether this is a a man who was called. I had a friend whose son was uh, worried about that very thing when the church was turned over to him, and he said, Dad, am I just being the pastor here uh, because I'm your son? And his dad said, Hey, because you're my son, God prepared you for this moment. So, I think it depends on the pastor, the son, and the role, the fruit that comes. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up For Life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions now typically i wouldn't read something like this but just i i'm getting ready to go on vacation and makes me feel good. So this is from Grateful Listener from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I've been listening to you for about three years. I just want to say thank you for your consistency and your dedication to the Word of God. I've really enjoyed this radio show. Even the guest pastors that you've had on the show have been amazing. A couple of weeks ago, you had your younger pastors speaking about the youth, and it was shocking and refreshing to hear young people so loyal to the Bible. Now, let me stop here. Grateful listening to everybody else. That's one of the most tragic things that we could hear, that it's shocking to hear young pastors being loyal to the Word of God. That, that to me, is an amazing thing. Now, obviously, a grateful listener is absolutely correct. Um, many, many pastors, young and old, have basically thrown the Bible out, or at least torn pages, metaphorically speaking, out of their Bibles because they don't want to deal with it. But um, it should never be shocking to hear pastors young or old loyal to the Bible, both of those young men, and uh, they've both been raised in this church. Uh, Both of those young men um, know that the Bible is the only hope they've got. It's God's word. It's his message. It's his church. We're his servants. He continues, I look forward to listening to you. Oh, I'm sorry, to your other staff pastors teach while you enjoy your much-deserved vacation. Uh, I do not know... Uh, what you are doing at your church, but it's evident to all that the Lord is with you. Grateful listener, thank you. And the reason I read it is because I wanted to deal with the last. I don't know what you are doing at your church. Honestly, I'm the most boring guy in Texas. I don't do anything. We don't have any marketing programs. We're not looking to to grow our church. Uh, what I do, grateful listener, is come... Three times a week, three days a week, I do it actually three times on Sunday, but but um, I, I come and I open the Bible and I teach it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's all we do. I don't tell funny stories. Uh, I'm not a funny guy. Uh, I crack myself up sometimes, but I don't crack anybody else up. But that's all we do. And every good thing that's ever happened at this church over our 28 years, Every good thing is a result of our faithfulness to the Bible, to the Word of God. 
on our teaching programs, Makers Auto, Pastor Ken's wife, she does our intro and outro uh, announcements. And at the end, she'll say, fall in love with the Bible and you will fall in love with Jesus. I promise. And because we love the word here, people fall in love with it. And I get to see transformed lives, renewed minds. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I get to see those things every day in people's lives. And you see the fog lift and you see the darkness leave. And that's really the only thing that we're doing. Now, we have all kinds of different ministries, of course, uh, the radio programs. We do all kinds of other things, the free school, uh, the free doctor's office. Um, uh, Malta Medical, uh, Manor House, it's a, it's a home. Uh, somebody gave us a house. We used it for, for God's, uh, the people that he loves, uh, women, young and older, uh, who are struggling in life or who've been in abusive or dangerous situations. Some of them have been in trouble and they want to get right with the Lord. Um, and, and we simply do what God tells us to do. And that's a word for every pastor and every church. If you do faithfully what God tells you to do, and it won't be what he tells us to do, but what he tells you to do, not what your neighbors do, not what you've seen other pastors do, not what works in other churches. God will give you a vision for his church. Remember, it's his church, and your responsibility as the under-shepherd is to be faithful to that vision. And God will work all of the other things out. So, grateful listener, thank you very, very much for tuning in. And, um, and, and your words are so encouraging. But believe me, nothing but blessing can happen when you're being obedient to the Lord. Whether you're a pastor or, or somebody who listens. Um, just be obedient. Do what God has told you to do. Make sure it's consistent with the Word of God. Remember that there's a lot of lying spirits out there. And you hang in there. You hang in there. I'll pass this on to uh, my two youth pastors, grateful listeners. They will be blessed by it as well. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Kent. Now, uh, I'm guessing, I don't know this, I'm guessing Kent is a young person. And this is just the opposite of what I just read. He says, I think the church needs to reconsider sex for single people. Why should we be deprived of this part of our life? Thoughts. He wants my thoughts on what he thinks. Here's my thought, Kent. Who are you to have an opinion? Who are you to tell Almighty God how he should run his church why he gives us the rules that he gives us. Faith demands that if we obey God, we will be blessed. We need to know that. But if we disobey him, there won't be any blessings, and there'll be lots and lots of pain. So here's the answer. Why should you be deprived of this part of your life? God created humans. God created sex. Sex is a gift for humans to enjoy, but we have to abide by the rules, the guidelines that he's given us. And godly sex is only, only between men and women who are married to one another. And it is a wonderful gift. So, Kent, what the church thinks is no more important than what you think. The only thing that matters is what God thinks, because he makes the rules, and our responsibility is to follow them. And it doesn't matter that that we live in a sophisticated society and the world has changed so much. The best thing, in, in fact, for me, the most comforting thing about God is that he is a not changing God. He never changes. He's the ancient of days. And when people say, well, that's just so old-fashioned, I always respond, and I don't mean disrespectfully, but sort of flippantly, well, it's okay because God's old. It's the ancient path. And there's no better place to be. So, Kent, open your heart. Ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will begin to agree with God. And your life will be blessed. And who knows, he may even bring uh, a woman um, for you to marry and um, enable you to serve the Lord together. Here's a question from Caleb. 
Caleb, I've really not thought about this. Caleb says, how does the history of Calvary Chapel influence the way you function at your church? Um, Caleb, I would be lying if I said it didn't influence us when uh, I was a brand new believer. Um, I was so, so hungry for, for to, to learn things. I mean, I just, I, I wanted to devour the Word of God. I needed to know. I was curious. I had all kinds of questions. Remember, I'm a, almost a 40-year-old man when I got saved. And, and suddenly I'm looking at a world that is completely different than the world that I'd lived in. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I'd go to different churches. Some of them were, I know now, I, I didn't know at the time, were really bad churches. Um, but I just went to a lot of different churches. And I remember the first time I walked into David Rosales' church in, uh, at the time, Ontario, California. He's in Chino uh, Chino Valley uh, in Southern California now. Uh, but I walked in and he taught with such an authority. And that's all, all he was doing. He wasn't shouting. It wasn't that kind of authority. It was just he was teaching the Bible verse by verse. And and I knew that he was speaking the truth with authority. Not like the guys that were shouting or putting on shows or promising me that if I gave to God, God would bless me with the 30, 60, 100 fold. Not that kind of nonsense. He was teaching the world. Now, I've got to be honest, David, who is now a dear friend, um, David made me angry. You know, I wanted God to make me rich. I wanted God to want me to be healthy. Uh, those were the problems that I had in my life. Um, but I knew when David was teaching the Bible that this was something that I could hold on to and depend on. And so um, I've been doing that, Caleb, from the very beginning. I think, other than that, um, the, the, um, the history of Calvary Chapel has had very little influence on what we do. One of the things uh, about being a Calvary Chapel, when you leave uh, Southern California or, or Florida, you know, churches around beaches, a lot of the, the old pastors were surfers and hippies, um, but, but you know, we come to Texas and nobody really knew 28 years ago who Chuck Smith was. Nobody really knew anything about Calvary Chapel. So I just purpose in my heart that we're going to open the Bible and teach it. And then that's enabled God to let people come. And he's, he's brought them. We've never spent one dime, nor have we spent one minute trying to figure out how to get people to come. Uh, we've never tried to appeal to a particular group. You know, we need our church to get younger. We need our church to get older. We need our church to get more more uh, minority attendance. We've never spent a second on any of those things. Um, God brings the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, and the angry because he knows that we're going to be faithful to teach the word. And it's his word by the power of his spirit that touches those people and changes their lives. So that's that's the only uh, influence that Calvary Chapel has had. Uh, a bigger influence cable for us, I said cable, I mean Caleb, um, a bigger influence for us is uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Uh, God gave us the blueprint for um, how to how to church, uh, how to do church. So um, I, I never thought that I would try to improve it, or spin it a little bit, or polish it up a little bit. I've never worried about what people thought about me. Or uh, I now obviously I'm like everybody else. I want people to think well of me, but but I, I never worried about well if I say this, I'm going to offend this group of people or that group of people. Um, I just open the Bible, open my mouth, and let God do the work that He's going to do. And by the way, for you, Caleb, and anybody else. Um, uh, I, I honest, with all my heart, I believe we got the most diverse church uh, that I've ever seen by far. Uh, our church is a pretty good picture of the city that we live in, San Antonio, Texas. Um, we are a majority Hispanic in our congregation, um, um, but but we have a, 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 a much larger number of blacks coming to our church than is the population of San Antonio. Uh, we also have uh, wonderful diversity in terms of of um, socioeconomic backgrounds, nationalities. Um, uh, we have a, a large group of Asians that come to the church. So um, we never, ever tried to do this. Married, single, um, it's just, it's 
you just can see when God puts something together, it works really, really well. Caleb, I hope that helps. I, I don't know if you're looking for something. Maybe you saw the Jesus Revolution and uh, we wanted to be cool. Um, with me as the pastor here, there's no chance of ever being cool at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Here's a question from Don. She says, I know we're not saved by works, but how do I respond to someone who says that repenting is a work? Don, you don't respond to him. You just tell him, well, you're wrong. Repent is the first word of the gospel. Whether it's John the Baptist saying it or Jesus saying it, we've got to repent. I love the fact that we can come to Jesus on his terms. But we have to remember that we're coming on holy ground. And we have to leave our sin behind. And we do that by just asking for forgiveness and saying, Lord, I've been following sin. I've been following the ways of this world. And what repentance really means, Don, is just a turning around. And what I'm going to do is turn around Jesus and instead follow you. That is, by the way, what Jesus meant when he said in the Lord's model for prayer in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, pray like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Um, He's saying if you're following Jesus, you're walking away from evil. So just follow Jesus, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is not a work. Repentance is a requirement. And so you tell them that they're wrong, and by the way, they know they're wrong. Does it make any sense to anybody in this world that God is holy even names the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and He comes to live in us, does it make any sense that we could come to Him and continue in sin? I'll use the term that Paul used in his letter to the Romans, uh, Romans, God forbid. And that's exactly what He does. God forbids it. Don't argue with them, Don. That's somebody who just wants to keep sinning and pretend that he or she is still going to heaven. Here's a question from William. First question I've ever had about this man. I heard Mike Fabares say Christians should be buried when they die, never cremated. What is your view? Now, I like Mike Fabares. He's a good teacher. Um, church produces a lot of fruit. Um, I, I like his ministries out of Southern California, um, and I like his church. Um, um, I, I, I actually listened to the, the, the answer to the question when I uh, got this question. And I know uh, that his view is that Christians should be buried, that being buried is the normal way, um, uh, biblical way, to to dispose of our bodies. He said our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit, um, they need to be treated with care and respect and dignity, and burial is God's way of doing it. And while I haven't heard Mike say too many things that I disagree with, at all. He's very solid, very solid. Uh, I couldn't disagree more. You know, when our spirit leaves this body, the Holy Spirit is gone. And all we are is a shell. We're at just an old tent. And with all of my heart, William, I, I, I just cannot bring myself to believe that what we do with that old, worn-out, sinful tent matters at all to the Lord. You know, Christians weren't always buried the way we bury them. We bury them underground. Well, Christians have been buried in tombs. Christians have been buried at sea. It's just the way history's done. So the, the, the truth is, I, I just don't believe it matters at all. What happens to these old bodies once we have departed this body? We've moved. We've left that behind, and we go into the presence of the Lord. Um, my particular reason, and I'm just as a pastor who's been doing this now for 28 years, my particular reason for, for favor and cremation is I've just watched too many people spend tens of thousands of dollars on saying goodbye to an old tent that Jesus doesn't care anything about. And cremation can be done simply, it can be done quickly, it can be done um, um, relatively cheaply. Um, I mean, many years ago when I was asked this question, um, it can be done for three or four hundred dollars. Now that's no longer the case. I think the cheapest now out there is about fifteen hundred bucks. But it just makes no sense to use the Lord's money for that kind of thing. You know, most people when they bury a family member, they need the money. 
they need the money to serve the Lord. And if nothing else, that money can be used uh, as a gift instead of spending it on a, 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 a lavish or expensive funeral. It could be spent on doing the work or continuing the work of God. So I just don't think uh, that uh, Pastor Mike is is accurate there. I know he believes it. I know uh, he's on radio here in town. So when I'm in the car and stuff, I've had the opportunity to listen to him enough. Uh, again, I believe he's super solid. Uh, I just think on this particular issue, uh, he's very, very wrong. And I think uh, the farther that we Christians can get away from being superstitious about death and, and sort of losing some of the mysticism about death, I think the better off we all will be. So don't stop listening to Mike Fabares because uh, of that one thing. Uh, I'm sure we're all wrong about something. And uh, pretty much Mike's not wrong about a lot, at least in my experience listening to him teach the word. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I think we still have enough time to sneak in a call or two or 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Bob. Um, Pastor Ron, would you please talk about faith, not saving faith, but the gift of faith for daily use? Um, you know, the, the gift of faith, Bob, is something, you, you know, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's 11.6. And, and that's why walking by faith in obedience to the Lord every day is so critical. Um, you know, we are afraid to do things that don't make sense. We're afraid of things that are going to make us uncomfortable. But faith overwhelms fear. I like to say that faith is the antidote to fear. Um, and and at the same time, um, we need faith to, to do anything. You know, my flesh says, um, take the easy way out, the safe way. Um, Jesus saying, no, 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 take that sip of faith, take that sip, and it proves that we really trust the Lord. So, Bob, I think walking by faith is really important. One of the things that I'm continually harping about here at Calvary Chapel, my people, I want them to get to the place where they can experience for themselves the power of God moving through them, the hand of God upon them, using them to be a blessing to other people. And, of course, every bit of service needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is actified, actified by faith and by obedience. And uh, too many Christians worry or, or, or become fearful when something doesn't make sense or when they take a step of faith and uh, things don't turn out the way they thought they would or the way they hoped that they would. Uh, too many Christians sort of back off then and say, well, I must have been wrong. It wasn't God. If you're walking by faith and if your heart is right, God will direct your steps. And we need faith when things don't turn out the way we thought. So, Bob, it's so important. I don't know how I can emphasize it any more than I have, not just in your question, but but regularly on this program. Every day, Jesus, we got to get up and say, what about me and what about today? And a lot of times he's going to challenge you. If you ask him, what about me and what about today? He's likely to say, how about you share the gospel with somebody at work? Well, Lord, I can't do that. You know, I'm afraid it makes me uncomfortable. Faith is necessary to be obedient. you got to trust God. And until we do, we can't please the Lord. And, of course, um, Paul writes that we're to find out what pleases the Lord and do that. And that requires great faith. Saving faith saves you. God bless the world for saving faith. But the faith that lives every day, I call it active faith, getting faith to your feet, that kind of faith is what makes life absolutely thrilling. Scary, but thrilling and fulfilling as well. Okay, one more time. Here's a question from Bridget. I'm going to take this one tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but on Friday, Bridget, just because... Uh, no, it's not Bridge. It's Bridget. It's Bridge. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to take it Friday because it's it's I think worthy of a long time. So let me go to Jackie's question, uh, Pastor Ron. Do you think suicide victims will go to heaven? Uh, yeah, if they're saved, if they're born again. Uh, the reality, Jackie, is that born again Christians sometimes are overwhelmed by an enemy who wants to destroy them. 
they get far away from the Lord. Um, the distance increases. The enemy starts pounding. Um, the, the circumstances come to bear in their life. They just don't think they can take it uh, one day longer and they, in their lives. Now, it is a terrible sin, a sin that they will answer for in heaven. Um, they will lose rewards for that sin. But it's not the unforgivable sin. Rejecting Jesus Christ is. And if they are born again, then they will be in heaven, no matter how they died. Now, let me say one other thing, and I'm kind of running out of time. Um, sometimes people ask this question because they're contemplating suicide and want to be sure they'll go to heaven. I'm going to tell Jackie, and if that's your intent or anybody else, Christians cannot commit suicide. They just can't. Your body's not your own. It's bought with a price. Uh, your body's probably working fine. It's it's uh, other parts of your life that's out of kilter. So Christians simply cannot commit suicide. And often uh, somebody who commits suicide proves that they never really were born again in the first place. And I want to emphasize, I said earlier, that there are times when real Christians take their own lives. And it is a deep, deep tragedy. But real Christians cannot commit suicide. Our bodies belong to the Lord. So, Jackie, thank you for the question. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Tonight, a hugely important study in Ezra chapter 10. We'll see you tomorrow with Paula. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.